find an informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Pod Dog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. And I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working with dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Pod Dog. Let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. Today I'm joined with the amazing Sophie Bell of Animal Love. Now Sophie has been a long-term LWDG featured expert. She joined with us and partnered with us right at the beginning to put together a canine first aid course, um, a mini course for people to access through our website. And today she's joined us to talk a little bit about dogs and doggy viruses. Hello Sophie, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. So before we go into what we're going to chat about, could you give the people who are listening a little bit of information about your background? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a vet qualified for 13 years. I'm also a very weird extra on top of that is that I'm a qualified dog groomer as well uh, that I qualified in 2014. So I definitely understand both of those worlds, veterinary world and, and dog grooming world. Um, I've worked with lots of different people and lots of different doggy backgrounds from working um, working dog owners to different veterinary professionals like physiotherapists, etc. And what I now do is create a lot of content for people to learn about different things, not always dog related, some other animals as well. Anything from first aid down to um, general health and certain scenarios and how we can protect dogs in different ways, etc. So I run certain courses. I've got lots of different courses available. And um, I also create content for children to try and get them starting early. So at the end, Sophie will be giving us her information where we can find her, where we can find all this fabulous content. Um, But to start the conversation that we're on here to discuss today, Sophie. Now, recently, my dogs had a bout of what I believe is gastroenteritis, where it it was out of the mouth, out of the bottom. Both (laughs) dogs... uh, 24 to 48 hours quite unwell the the girl Ella got pretty much better quite quickly um, and but the boy it hung around a little bit with but let's start with this because there seems to be quite a lot of people across the UK at the moment who are reporting seeing their dogs with some type of virus yeah we definitely go through phases so actually just prior to the vomiting and diarrhea we had a whole spate of kennel cough in both vaccinated and unvaccinated dogs, it didn't really matter. Actually, it was like we saw we saw both being affected in different ways. We kind of then get over that and move straight on to the gastroenteritis, like you say, with dogs with varying degrees. I guess, like with any virus, I suppose we've learned a lot from COVID. You know, some people can have COVID and hardly show any symptoms. Others get really sick. The gastroenteritis works in a similar way. So some dogs will get really sick and need to go into hospital, and others can be managed at home possibly with an anti-sickness from the from the vet, a nice bland diet, and usually within a couple of days they're better. So it's very variable what to expect and how how your dog's going to go downhill, I guess, or if they're going to go downhill. So when it started for me, it was quite it was quite shocking. I've got to be honest, I've never seen anything like it. I've seen it in children, and I'm sure yeah. viruses work a similar way, where you're like, oh my God, can this get any more projectile? But yeah. this literally was um, everywhere. And it was quite frightening because because there was so much coming out, I could get very little going in. Sure. 
That's the main problem. So because of that, they get dehydrated very quickly. And what people feel is and what they they don't realise is that they, they see the dog maybe drinking more water. And so in their mind, they feel like they're rehydrating themselves. But the bottom line is they lose so much fluid when they have a bout of even just several bouts of diarrhoea. You know, if they're quite large volumes, it can it can be quite difficult for dogs to make up for that that fluid loss, especially if they're old you know, very young, they're going to find it a bit more difficult. And if they're not eating, remember, dogs get a lot of moisture from their food, you know, whatever you feed, whether you feed kibble to raw, I mean, especially something like raw, it's it's packed full of moisture. So if you're if your dog's not eating it, then you're losing all of that moisture content as well. <clears throat> that's the biggest risk is a dehydration. And that's why you have those dogs that end up on drips. And some of the others that, that don't get to that level. Yeah, because in between spades, they were gulping of water. And like you said, it looks like they're hydrating themselves. Yeah. And obviously we haven't got a way of measuring how much is coming back out. Um, and for the bitch, she got over it really quite quickly and I didn't see a weight drop or anything else. But because Buddy, it seemed to linger and it would go a day or two without and then it would come back. It was sort of underlying, never completely going. Mm-hmm. We did see quite a, a weight drop, enough that I was concerned and when I spoke to the vet about it the first thing they did was give me a probiotic now I went in expecting antibiotics um and they were like a probiotic is the place we start so why do they start with it because obviously I was looking for like medical intervention yeah, of course yeah that's a very good question so in the past if I look at sort of the 13 years I've been practicing <clears throat> ask me that question 13 years ago and your dog would have got antibiotics now it's very strictly regulated how we give out antibiotics. And if a dog has what we feel is uncomplicated vomiting and diarrhea that we think we could manage, that we feel is viral and we don't feel antibiotics would be appropriate because really that's only going to be for sort of more bacterial stuff. Or if the, if it's going on, so they're, they're right. You start with the first thing, probiotic and maybe an anti-sickness and change the diet. For 90% of dogs, they'll get better. That 10% won't. And they'll be the ones that perhaps then we move on to an antibiotic. The other time we might give an antibiotic out a bit quicker, but that's also a grey area, is if we see blood. And it depends on the amount of blood. If it's large volumes, then yes, we do. But even not every vet will say then that we should. You know, it's a real, we have to be careful. We don't want to cause um, dogs to become sort of immune to antibiotics. We don't want to overuse them and we don't want to use them incorrectly. So we kind of go on what we see, what we find, what's happening at the time, how other dogs have responded but reserve them for those that really need them rather than just giving them out. But you're right, as an owner going into vets, you want sometimes, some people don't, some people don't want more, but other people, they want to walk away feeling like they've been given a medication and not just a supplement, so to speak. I've got to be honest, the pro, I, they also advised 24 hours starvation. We administered a probiotic at the beginning of those 24 hours, at 12 hours and at 24 hours again. And within two to three days, it well, it stopped pretty much instantly as in it became just a loose stool regulated not unregulated um shall we say he had control of when he was going and then it it just seemed to disappear so I was really really impressed with what the probiotic did for him and his weight gain has come straight back um you know it's it's very interesting that something like we see as a supplement can be the answer yeah, absolutely. And that particular probiotic you'd have had would have contained kaolin as well. Kaolin just slows the gut down, but it just shows you the power of probiotics. I talk about them a lot when I'm teaching and how um, how great they are for daily use for dogs to be on a probiotic, a canine specific probiotic I prefer. 
every day. It can help with behavior, their skin, their breath, their their stomach, everything. And I think it's a really great thing, especially those with working dogs who are high energy and are, you know, using maybe more calories, more energy than other dogs and their sort of metabolisms faster. I think the probiotics are actually a great addition to those particular those particular dogs. I do like them. And they can then be used long term, can't they? So whereas yeah. I was introduced to this with a with an illness. Yeah. yeah. An everyday thing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I really like that. And it's funny what you say about because that's where vets really differ. The whole starving for 24 hours. Now my my ethos is if they'll eat, feed them, but feed them I tend to go for things like um, scrambled egg uh, and add in a nice fibre sauce like sweet potato. Now, if they won't eat, that's different. But I always think if they do, because they get a lot of hydration from that as well. And I feed lots of little meals. So I might say go for eight small meals during the day, you know, even like just a couple of teaspoons worth, depending on the size of the dog, uh, rather than just a big meal. But again, all vets will have a very different opinion around that. I just worry sometimes, like with a good size Labrador, you know, sort of that kind of size of dog, probably starving for 24 hours isn't going to be massively impactful. But if you had a smaller dog, like you did that with something like a Chihuahua who has incredibly fast metabolism, it might get really low blood sugar and it might make them worse. So I definitely, I definitely don't say across the board, starve everything. Sort of, I pick and choose my my dogs maybe. Yeah, because, well, you make a really good point there. Like from one vet to another, information could change like from one doctor to another that's why we can ask for a second opinion with our doctors but going back to viruses we have just been through covid and and we've been very much focused as the world on on our health and what we can do for ourselves but viruses i suppose with dogs even from the minute they're born we're like okay let's get a vaccination first vax second vax should we have lepto 2 or should we have lepto 4 we're making decisions from the minute they're born about how we're going to protect them against viruses yeah they are going to come across them all the way through their life aren't they sure yeah they are i mean the ones that we vaccinate against tend to be the sort of nastier ones i guess um interestingly enough in wales i found this out the other day I think you use a bit more lepto 2 in Wales than we do in England. And I actually found out it's because you don't really see the other two strains that we do here, especially in the south of England. So quite often, if we have people move from Wales to to England, then and probably I would say you apply probably in Scotland as well. And Northern Ireland, I don't. Th- I think they maybe do still get the same strains as England do, but Wales don't. Interestingly enough, which is probably why you use maybe a bit more lepto too. It is really hard um, to make that decision. Now, I think you have to look at lifestyle. So leptospirosis is a real thing, um, and it is a really hard condition to treat. I have to say, the dogs I've treated with leptospirosis, I haven't saved one to date. Um, it is a nasty, nasty disease, nasty bacteria. So that one's actually a bacteria. Things like parvovirus, again, you can, you've got options as an owner, I guess, and you have to think about it. So I think the puppy vaccines are the important ones. Again, whether you go for your Lepto 2 or Lepto 4, I think you have to make that decision on your lifestyle and your region. And whether you go for any Lepto at all, you know, obviously vets are always going to recommend that you do it. Not from a financial point of view, because people always think that, but because we are governed by a governing body, the Royal College, and we have to go by what becomes a core vaccine in the UK. So basically, 
the British Veterinary Association say that leptospirosis vaccine is core within the UK. So therefore, as vets, we have to advise to you that you give your dog the core vaccines. If you refuse to, that's fine, but you have to make that decision, if that makes sense. The only time I've had a dog where I've said don't give lepto is like immune compromised dogs or dogs that have had underlying problems. But for the average puppy, the owner can make that decision. But I have to be the one that says this is what we recommend and we should do. And then if you feel differently, then that's your decision, because obviously I can't be held accountable if your dog then got leptospirosis, if that makes sense. Of course. And then going forward, once they've had the vaccines as puppies, and again, this is an emotive subject where people are like, hmm. keep vaccinating, don't keep vaccinating, sure, you're sure. over-vaccinating. And for an owner, especially a new owner, yeah. it's very hard to decide what the next step should be, isn't it? 100%. And I get that too. So at one year, technically, everything gets done again. So all your parvo, distemper, hepatitis, that's one part of the vaccine and then the leptospirosis being the other. Then in three years' time, we give the parvo, distemper, hepatitis again. But in between, every year, the lepto is recommended. So again, I guess um, I guess if you compare it to doctors. So if, if a doctor said that your child needed this vaccine or something, remember that doctor isn't allowed to sit there and say, I wouldn't give your child that vaccine. They would probably get in a lot of trouble. It works very much the same for the vet. So you have freedom to decide what you want to do. I think as long as you are understanding that these diseases do exist, we do see deaths from them. Um, then I think that then that's something you have to sit down and, and think about. My Personally, my dogs do get the lepto vaccine, but that's because I'm in a very rural area. I know that we have had cases in this area. And I also know that I've got young children and um, leptospirosis, we can catch leptospirosis. Um, and unvaccinated dogs can be silent carriers. It's rare. I'm not saying you're going to start getting sick from your dog. And again, I respect people's opinions as long as they do it sensibly. If you don't want to do vaccinations as regularly, you can do titer tests. So you take a drop of blood, you look for what the antibodies that are there. But we can't do that for leptospirosis. And that's what makes it so hard. If we had a leptospirosis antibody test, we have one for when they're sick. We just don't have one for when for vaccines it would solve all of these issues. Because yeah. I agree, some dogs will have one lepto vaccine and it might cover them for the whole of their life. Others, they'll be have hardly any antibodies as they're coming up for the booster. It's so variable. And because of that, everyone gets treated the same because how can you distinguish between each different dog? And then we have to take on board the fact that a lot of insurance companies yeah. will only insure you if you are vaccinated or your booster is given every single year. Yeah, so, so so quite a lot of the insurance companies now will accept a titer test, but obviously the leptospirosis is a different story, as I just said. They'll also accept worm counts. So if you decide that you don't want to give a worming tablet every three months or how often you do it, um, this is something I do with my dogs, actually, uh, I carry out a worm count. Um, so I try to minimise, you know, I try to test my dogs. I worm count mine. I try to minimise those. They do get the lepto vaccine. I sort of keep up with my flea treatments but I don't always I, I kind of I'm always going through their coats so sometimes I might be more regimented in the summer than the winter even though we do see them in all year round so I do try to minimize uh, or keep it to the, the minimum but also keep it safe but as again you know people have all different opinions on that and all different feelings and some people would just prefer to just give a worming tablet and that's fine and monthly flea treatment and again that's fine other people will want to do something a little bit different I think yeah, it's and you're being sensible. 
and it's about us just looking at all the information, not getting yeah. overwhelmed and thinking what feels right for me because yeah. you are going to have very different and very polar opinions in some places about yeah. what is the correct way forward. And you made really good points there about the fact that a dog, for example, living in a rural area may need you to have a different attitude to a dog living in the city because, like you said, yeah. through the summer, dogs are going through long grasses, lots of activity, lots of other animals live in those areas as well. Yeah, it's very yeah. easy for a dog to pick up something that's already in that grassland. Exactly. I think you've got to think about your whole dog's lifestyle. Like, you know, it was a, you know this a dog recently that I said, let's not vaccinate, actually, was um, quite old. And literally, its walk consisted of a walk around the block. And because it was old and had underlying health problems, actually, we had a long discussion about whether it was appropriate or not. And given the lifestyle and the risk of coming into contact with these things, it was so tiny that we decided that actually, because he'd had a mild reaction as well to a vaccine in the past, it always made him feel a bit rough we decided to forego it. And I think sensible conversations like that are fine. And I think if you're tied to testing and worm counting, and then as long as you are accepting, like you say, if you don't do the leptospirosis vaccine, you have to understand that maybe daycare won't take you, walkers might not take you. I mean, not saying they're all the same, depends on the council um, that they're working under, you know, and your insurance company might not cover you. You have to look at all of that. I think it's very important that you look at your lifestyle and, and and all of it and don't just follow the masses that are like going around saying that the Lepto 4 vaccine kills dogs. I'll be honest, I think I've seen reactions to probably everything I've given a dog at some point in my life. Like there's always been, even from a simple worming tablet, I've seen dogs get sick. You know, we're never going to go through life without reactions to these things. Sad, but it's true. And out of all the thousands of dogs that are vaccinated every day, we are going to get a small percentage that that have some sort of degree of reaction from mild to potentially death. I think the the recent numbers, as in reported, are seven in 10,000 dogs with a Lepto-4 that have have a reported reaction. Maybe there's more and they don't get reported. I don't know. But remember, it's much more exciting news to talk about the dogs that react than it is about the dogs that have the vaccine and are okay but again you have to make a decision for yourself about vaccines and i'd never push anyone i would just say look these are the facts this is the risk factor you need to make your own decision i have a reaction to strawberries i love strawberries but when i eat strawberries i go all blotchy and and my body says i'm not a particular fan of a strawberry yeah you know it's such an odd thing isn't it people look at me very oddly when i say well i me and strawberries don't really get on but yeah, is, yeah. is that like that for each individual dog what will be fine you may have given a type of vaccine for years and years and years across the same breed and then there will be that one pep that will have a reaction to it yeah and that and that goes for absolutely everything I think like you could have probably 10,000 dogs all bitten by adders and only a small percentage of those will start maybe needing CPR and having a really serious reaction the remainder of them it'll be like a bee sting it just hurt a little bit and uh, some probably won't even show any reaction at all. So you can't tell who's going to react. And I suppose with young puppies, I think what makes it especially hard is that sometimes they have underlying conditions. Like there's a condition called a portosystemic shunt. And basically it means that the blood's not going through the liver as it should. So the liver detoxifies things. And if the blood's not going through it, then we've got toxins building up in the blood. Now, little dogs or even big dogs with that condition, they're going to react much more to anything they're given. So 
we don't always know at eight weeks if that is a problem. So of course, so having that vaccine, maybe there's more of a medical issue there, but we don't know. So I think there's an element of that. There's also one some of the things I see. So I'm very wary about vaccines and worm and flea treatments with our, um, all our collies, so rough collies, border collies, and all our shepherds as well. And um, that's because they can suffer with um, a mutated gene. It's called the multi-drug resistant gene. It's so easy to swab their mouth and say yay or nay, they've got they've got the mutated gene or not. But they can even react to antibiotics, anesthetics. So basically throughout their life, their body cannot process medications properly. But of course, eight weeks old, if they've not done that swab and it's an eight week old collie being vaccinated and it suddenly has a major reaction, was it that it had that mutated gene or was it, gen- you know, so we don't know always. And I think there's that side that we need to work on a bit more. Yeah. Of, of building up our education and understanding. Yes. So for example, if you've got a crossbreed, there could be that collie gene somewhere yeah. in your dog's genetics that you're not aware of. It's true. I, and that's, that is the issue, you see. And you get your, the trouble is most people that get a puppy, they've only had it for about 48 hours before they're then going to get it vaccinated and everything else. They've had major changes in their life, emotionally and physically, some people, you know, even go as far as to quickly changing the diet as well, which we shouldn't do, obviously, but you do it slowly. They're going through all these major changes and all of a sudden they, you know, I mean, for me, I refuse. This is just my my stance and I always stick by it. So I vaccinated a little puppy the other day um, and they also wanted kennel cough, flea and worming and microchip. And I basically said, oh, no, it had, it had its microchip, sorry. I basically said, just the vaccine because it's eight weeks old, it's tiny First of all, if he has a reaction, I don't know which one he's reacting to. And I want to be able to make sure I can support this dog if there is a reaction. I always talk about vaccine reactions. I'm not, I don't hide it. I talk about it in a consult and say, you know, these are the facts, these are the figures like, you know, do you want to think about it? Do you want to go ahead? You know, I'm very honest. But what I do always say is I'm only doing the one. At the second vaccine, you know, in between, if you really want the chemical vaccine, we can do it in between. We'll do it in stages. You know, once they're a bit bigger and a bit more robust, it's different. But I don't want to throw flea worming first back kennel cough that's my other vets don't you know we all think differently and I don't and I don't feel bad for, you know I don't feel badly of anyone else it's just my stance on it. it's how I feel comfortable working I don't like to do everything at the same time I can totally understand that and it is that awareness if we're aware of it if we ask our vet for it our vet's probably quite happy because it shows that we've looked into it and we've researched it if we say oh. well can we have this one this one this one and this is our our thinking behind it yeah. That's always in our power. Because I think sometimes as well, when we go to vets and doctors, we listen and we sometimes not, we don't hear our voice, use our voices to say, actually, can we look at this, this and this? But we do yeah. have that power, don't we? We do. And I think what we need to do, and I'm hoping this will change more, because there's very much this like vets and holistic vets. Now, I see my work as holistic all the time. You know, whenever I work with a dog, the whole experience is a holistic experience during a consultation. You know, I'm not just saying, oh, your dog's itchy. Here's some steroids. I want to know about diet, environment. I want to know about behaviours at home, you know, all those things. Mike taught, you know, and, and from that, holistic always seems to refer to using something different. Now, I do, don't get me wrong. I'm very much into using lots of different herbal teas. And I use lots of different things that are not conventional medicine. But I think... It's a shame because it almost puts this divide, people being like, you've got your vets and you've got your holistic vets. But quite a lot of us are holistic without being purely using 
herbal stuff. You know, we, we, we use a mix. And I think it would be really nice for, for us to feel more comfortable to be able to kind of talk about the different things more and engage with our customers more. But you have to bear in mind, you get two different types of customers as well. You know, I get some people that are literally like, if, I, if their dog's got diarrhea, are you saying about diarrhea? I might talk about adding chamomile tea, okay, to food because chamomile tea is a nice gastro relaxant. I've got some owners that would probably go and make a formal complaint if I made that comment because they want the medicine. They want to be told chicken and rice, which is something I don't do. You see, I don't, I don't, that's not my thing. I always say, say a scrambled egg and a fibre sauce and they'll walk away and they feel like they've just faced quackery. You know, I'm, I'm off my head. Like I've just told them chamomile tea, scrambled egg, sweet potato. Here's your probiotic. I know that most dogs will get fixed on that. But they don't want that. They want, you know, some sort of antibiotic. They want more. They want me to say chicken and rice. They want me to go. They want me to go traditional. Yeah. Old school. And because that's how it's drummed into you. And that literally, as you know, as we started it, I was literally like, are you sure he doesn't need an antibiotic? Now, yeah. I'm pretty much open minded. And I thought, well, I'll try this probiotic. I'll see where I'm. And I've got to be honest and truthful. I was a little bit because I was so concerned of about course. him. Yeah. But on seeing the difference, I was then so pleased I'd been open-minded because, like you said, long-term antibiotic use is not just bad for my dog. It's bad for all dogs. It's bad for yeah. everything. Yeah. So, circling back to sort of how we treat viruses and when we see viruses in the home, where would you say are, not where we can home treat, because I don't believe in that, but where yeah. do we need to be on the phone to the vet and where do we need to just be aware yeah so definitely it sounds like a really cheesy plug here but this is why I teach the courses I teach are things like um canine health and first aid one of the courses I teach what I teach you in that is like something like gastroenteritis we're able to recognize the signs of dehydration so if you know how to find a pulse and obviously something I teach and you feel the pulse rate is going up and perhaps the gums feel tacky and glue-like rather than slippery and wet they're very early signs of dehydration. So they're telling you that that dog is just going past that level of acceptable that you can teach, treat at home to actually, A, the dog's going to feel awful and B, it's going to cost you a lot more money. You know, it's not going to be the anti-sickness and the probiotic. It's going to be two days in hospital and fluid. So you don't want to leave it too long. I think lots of people, so I think basically little things really with gastroenteritis in particular, if they're having more than sort of six bouts of vomit in 24 hours, especially a company with diarrhea, start to worry about dehydration, especially if they are not wanting to eat and are not taking in much fluid. And especially if the weather's hot, then all of those combinations go together. And I think a lot of the time you do know your dog. I think if they're young, fit and healthy and they've had a few bouts of vomiting and diarrhea. I think to give that 24 hours or even the probiotic you got you can actually get it without a prescription so you could ring your vet up and say I know this is actually very good my dog's got an upset tummy could I come and pick that up today and get it on board now save the consult get going now the only thing I would say sometimes you saying about it coming out of your dog um you know both ends I this is a horrible story but it's just something to kind of like reiterate because it kind of, you should always think about the history of what's gone on before your dog gets sick. So I had a lady bring up with a Labrador and it was about midnight. Basically this dog was projectiling out of both ends. Um, uh, within 10 minutes on the phone, she said that he had now collapsed. He came down, I had to do CPR and it was unsuccessful. And it turns out 
literally 12 hours bang on before this he'd eaten a mushroom a wild mushroom out on a walk and it was poisonous and that was the outcome so I think you've always got to think about what's the history has your dog had its nose in something is it something that is not a virus actually you know you notice that your dog was going through some old food or something outside and you know something like that I think is you've got to think about that then I would say that's definitely worth conversation with the vets it could be something worse than just a simple virus it's really odd you say that because the day that this started I had given them both um a pets at home bless them I was calling pets at home all the names under the sun and (laughs) a duck do the dried like duck legs like a oh okay okay and um i was literally for the first this is probably why i didn't move as quick as i normally would have was it was that i thought it was that i literally thought i thought those blinking duck legs because uh, because it, it, it was both of them because both of them had been in well yeah. and it literally only was because it, we were 24 hours after i was like mom i've never seen anything like this talked to my mom she said to me have you gone onto facebook into this local group and they say Loads of dogs who've walked in a park, you've walked in a big area. And that was literally only when it triggered. And to me, this might be more than not just those duck legs. Those duck legs are just purely coincidental. Yeah. And as Ella got better, I literally thought, oh, that we're fine, we're through this. But it almost seemed to go that he would get better and it would start again. And then he'd get better and then it would start again. And I was like, yeah. am I going to the vets? Am I not going to the vets? Am I going to the vets? Oh, so, isn't that? It, but, but when I went there, I literally thought about it, and the vet said something which, which was, again, interesting to me, is they can pass viruses back and forth. So I think what was happening was it was never really going from the environment, and he was just picking it back up from the home. Like, obviously, yeah. you have to clean yeah. everything down. Yeah. You can't clean the garden, can't, can't clean no. the grass. Thankfully, it's, it's over and done. When we're dealing with... um gastroenteritis both ends as you've explained to me a little bit earlier so yeah. what what are the different types it's like gastroenteritis is both ends yeah if it's one end so gastritis if it's just vomiting and then just enteritis usually if it's or we'll say enteritis if we don't know exactly where it is in from stomach to bum or we'll say colitis lots of people have heard of colitis and that basically means it's affecting the colon the large bowel we've got diarrhea that's affecting that that's a very common thing, colitis, and people don't realise that. So that's quite a good one, actually. If you've not, it doesn't always, vomiting doesn't always accompany it. You usually see mucusy stuff on the poo. Um, it's one of those things where it can be caused by stress as well. So I'm sure all of you have seen your dogs have colitis at some point, especially, I would say, especially working dogs. Having had two um, spaniels myself, you know, like how they've got that hyper edge. And they'll go out and they'll do a poo and the first one looks normal. And then by about poo number 10, because they do about a million of them because they're so excited, it can be like a bit of liquid. And you might see that, again, if you're out on a shoot, that you notice your dog gets a bit of soft diarrhea, maybe towards the end or during the shoot or or even near the beginning. It's usually caused by excitement. And I always think, think if you're going to go and speak in front of a thousand people, you're going to feel really nervous and keep going to the toilet. So if they're excitable and they're like, working on their nerves and things then you will see colitis regularly which is probably another reason why it'd be great especially for working dogs to be on probiotics because they're probably some of the ones that will get more because of metabolism so fast everything's going through them so much quicker I always think than a lot of these other kind of less you know dogs that aren't doing as much I guess I since we've introduced probiotic I'm quite impressed with like, and we can talk about this because this pod dog is all about our amazing dogs. 
and pool picking up is far easier because everything is more firm everything's yeah. more neat everything's yeah. more sorted and I'm just like oh, bless you yeah because yeah and you know they've always had quite firm stools but now they're like they're, they're just a little bit firmer they're a little bit easier yeah. I almost think I'll tell you a quick very funny story yesterday when I was literally going on the garden pool picking because some days I let them go out back and forth. Back oh, same, same, yeah. And yeah. I go out and I do a poop pick. Yeah. And um, I normally do it for my husband comes over because he's not a big lover of poop. Nobody is. Um, but And I pick up and I thought, this is like the worst Easter egg hunt in the world. <laughs> I had my poop bag, my gloves on. I was like, this is no fun. If these were like mini eggs, this would be <laughs> enjoyable. But this is just terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. But uh, yeah, um, but thank you very much for all that information. I'm sure people will be absolutely fascinated. Um, I've definitely learned stuff from being on this pod dog with you, as I always do. If people want to access you or your courses, where should they go? So you find me at, um, at animallovepetfirstaid.co.uk. I've got a couple of courses on there at the moment, canine health and, uh, and first aid. I've just released a new one. It's a really nice one. Um, the Young Dog, A Healthy Start is all about some of the things we've spoken about then, vaccines, neutering, stretching up before walking, how much walking, you know, what joint supplements can you add? What is it's packed, actually, full of really useful stuff. Um, and I've got a nice senior dog c- course coming out uh, towards the end. It'll probably April now, which is a really nice course. Again, if you've got older dogs, how are you going to manage them? Things like dementia and arthritis and all those big topics, like what are the cool little tips? Very practical, my courses. They have lots of things that you can do from home. Uh, like you say, so I promote self-treatment, but I definitely promote a good way of living, living and being able to spot the signs and symptoms of things early and how to avoid unnecessary injuries. Thank you very much, Sophie, for being on okay. here, having this chat about all things aki side of dog life. Do you not find that the weeks go so quickly? I Listen, I'm not counting the days away. As I said to you, I turned 40 on, on Thursday. So I'm literally sort of like hanging on to every day. I'm still 39 <laughs> today. I'm still 39 tomorrow. <laughs> I spend every week saying to myself, this is completely off dog topic, but next week will be karma. I say it to myself yes. all the time. It's just yeah. next week will be karma. Yeah. That calm week has never, ever come. I feel exactly the same as you. And it's weird, isn't it? Because the older you get, the faster everything goes by, like you say. And I get scared. I sit there and think, hang on, it's Friday again. What I just did Friday. Like, this is a, it feels almost like Groundhog Day. Like, everything. And, and also, I think working for yourself, isn't it? It's um, you, you know, w- with me sort of running all the all the courses and things, and I'm working still in practice. I just feel that every day, like you say, it's packed from start to finish. And then you have got to catch up on life just general stuff and it's like you know when do you get a chance to do that it's hard work Definitely. but it's fun but it's fun but today is also international women's day so we get to celebrate the fact that we are all kick-ass yes um, <laughs> thank you very much again thank you everybody for listening if you'd like to find any more information about sophie please go visit her website pop some information in the show links for you to find her and her courses too and hopefully you will all join us next week for another episode of lwdg pod dog Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now, we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short, 
10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com. Thank you.